Hello and welcome to the Chris Wool Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with a true friend, um, and Jackie Munson. She's also my son's, uh, my son Benton's godmother, and um, and it's been a lot of fun to see Jackie grow. She looks at the profession um, in a way that very few people, if anybody else, does. She's residency trained. She's a solid, solid clinician, uh, but she's always pushing the envelope, not to be a cowboy, but to try to serve her patients in the best way that she possibly can. So today we talk about you know, her approach to wellness and integration for a, really a whole health approach to a patient and, and their management for their, from their ocular uh, symptoms and ocular diseases. It's a fascinating conversation, and she, like I said, she's she will get you thinking about um, about how we're going to uh, to take care of our patients in the future during COVID and beyond COVID. So, uh, please enjoy our conversation. As always, be su- be sure to subscribe to the podcast, give us a five star review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. I love companies who do good for our patients and allow us to take the credit. I'm not sure if you saw this yet but CooperVision recently announced their Essential Healthcare Worker Program, which was designed to make eye care providers the heroes in support of their essential healthcare workers. If you have patients in these roles, it's available to them if you want to present them with this offer. So what happens? How does it work? Well, essential hospital workers are eligible to receive one complimentary box of CooperVision contact lenses for each eye. This includes all one-day, two-week, and monthly brands of CooperVision manufacturers, and the patient has to have a current CooperVision contact lens prescription to be eligible. If you choose to participate in this process for your patients, the links will be in the show notes. Yeah, good. How about you guys? Same. Yeah, praise be to God, we're doing okay and just waiting to see how all this turns out, you know? Well, what, um, I mean... What are your thoughts about about what's going on right now? Are we talking personally or professionally? Either, both, all. <laughs> are we? We're live recording, or are yeah. you just? Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, I think um, I think the the best conversations that that I have on the podcast are ones that are not are not scripted or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I'm sure. just asking your thoughts about what's what what's your perspective on on where we're at and you know, how we move forward and all that kind of stuff. Well, we've, you know, we've kind of, we're kind of mid through midway through it is how we, we see it just from a health standpoint globally. And then kind of our response locally here, uh, we've taken a pretty balanced approach from the beginning. So we did shut down for two weeks, uh, but we were available one morning a week to just do reveals and eyewear dispenses and things like that. And We've been here part-time really through the duration. We've had a lot of on-calls, a lot of virtual consults. Um, we've, we've, I'm proud of my team. They've adapted well. We've done virtual um, consultations for the last year. We just added video to it now. So that wasn't really a foreign uphill battle that we had to, to implement. Just polish it. It really allowed us to polish that process. But it's been a pretty balanced approach. We've Most of our patients, you know, the ones that are taking that same kind of moderate approach are here and have come in for exams and those that prefer to take the road of extra caution, you know, have stayed home. So we kind of wanted to be here to just offer all of it to both. So what do you think? So, you know, when you think about kind of adding new stuff and you're talking about how, how you had virtual consults before all this COVID stuff, what were you kind of scheduling as your virtual consults and how were you working that through? We have a lot of, of mobile patients. We have a lot of people and students who travel away for the summer. We have, um, you know, there's a lot of this that can be done virtually that, that I don't need them to be in my chair. You know, for 15 minutes, we can review results on different technologies or we can, it really was more of the approach to be there if they need me. You know, it wasn't really part of our promoted protocol. Like we wouldn't encourage all the virtual consultations, but now we have more of a balanced approach where we encourage it on certain exams just as much as patients are requesting it before it was just kind of, you know, a la carte as patients want it. We had that flexibility to, to, to offer that, but now it's more, Hey, how else can we use this? How else can we implement this for follow-ups or for um, status checks from a path problem where we did orals only and, you know, no pressure checks or side effects ocularly are really required. So, um, 
I don't know how, how much more we'll use it, you know, or what the natural demand will be, but it's been great to have that already at our fingertips. During yeah, this I, think time. It, I think it's hard because a lot of people are thinking about um, when they implement something like a telemedicine or virtual check-ins, like you're talking about that they, they think it's this big radical change in, uh, in how they're going to be seeing a patient. And, and really it's not, it's, it's the, the main difference is that you don't have the ability to rely so much on a, on an examination, right? You can rely on kind of a, a gross examination, mm-hmm. um, but you're really relying on history and, um, and your medical decision-making as the physician. And so, um, so while, while the examination for a lot of like lid issues that are not, you know, counting my booming glands or anything like that, but like obvious lid issues or conjunctival issues is pretty good. Um, most of it's going to come from your history. But, but really the implementation stuff in my mind, I always just say like, you already have the staff, you already have the capabilities to get a patient into the chair. You just use all those same capabilities and they're into the telehealth visit. And then you use your same capabilities afterwards. And, and so a, some, it's just hard for people to wrap their minds around that. It's been a testament really to, to test our, how virtual we are. I mean, truly we text message, we email our, we, we propose this to our, our audience or to our patient bases. We are always virtually open. We never closed. We were always virtually open and we already have all these facets. In fact, all of our pre-appointment surveys are digital. And so I can send those out individually or, you know, 48 hours ahead of time to know what their symptoms are before I even hop on a virtual consult now. So we, I know 48 hours ahead of time, what their concern is, you know, if it's a non-emergent consult, um, how their symptoms are doing based off, it's all subjective reporting, right? I'm not actually objectively measuring data in clinic, but it's, it's a gauge. Like I can almost tell you before we even hop on these virtual calls, if we need to bring them back or not, you know, if we, if we're cruising, if we can rely solely on subjective improvements right now, you know, can we space this out three months later? Can we avoid your risk or lower your risk in, in the public at this time? So it's, it's proved successful with our virtual surveying that we do ahead of every exam. It's proved successful with our um, virtual consult as it stands, just being able to just book those encounters ahead of time upon request or as needed. Um, it's also, um, I guess, enhanced our communication, you know, with our patient engagement and how we use Weave and then intake queue for our top two patient engagement systems, even our payments. I mean, we can just tell me about intake queue. Cause I, cause we stumbled on that. Cause one of the things that, um, that I want to use is coming out of this is the ability to just go away from all of those kind of intake forms. Mm. So what's your experience been with that? Yeah, gosh, it's changed our life. We were, we were kind of held captive by another vendor for a long time. And we looked at interactive PDFs and we looked at all these other opportunities and they're so expensive to build. Mm-hmm. Um, we made one for ocular surface um, prescriptions and things like that. And just, you know, we used it. I, I could save you 6,000. <laughs> right. No, I, I'm <laughs> not going that way now. Yeah. And so now in intakes, syncs up with our EHR system and it truly has changed our lives. And I, I would call it divine providence on when the timing of when we finally got everything implemented, but I have, um, we're still fine tuning how they're very robust. Our surveys are, especially for a new patient exam. We, we have our own ocular nutrition survey, uh, ocular surface disease, like a revised speed. We have our lifestyle index through Neuralens technology uh, we have a patient values survey that we submit because we want to know how to speak into their listening and what mm-hmm. really matters most to patients so we can customize their experience. And so it, it really lends to our preventative mindset. Um, this pandemic has forced us to become very reactive when we're not used to living in that world. We don't really like that. Um, we're just so far on that preventative skewed mindset that um, we need these surveys to tell us and help guide the patient experience. So we can customize that ahead of time. As long as those forms are done, um, we encourage our staff to use the word specifically the best way to form a relationship with your team of providers is to communicate with us prior to 48 hours ahead of time with these symptoms. And, and whenever patients are negative on all these surveys, especially if they're an established patient with us, if that means we're doing our job. Mm-hmm. And so when we conduct that, experience for the patient we want them to know like our challenge now is to keep you asymptomatic so we're going to come into this exam with a very preventative mindset as we evaluate the structure and function of of your health so 
um, it, it goes both ways, you know, whether they're symptomatic or asymptomatic, it really helps guide the mentality as we open the door to that patient and shake their hand. How do you, so then, um, intake cue then feeds. So you just tell them like, this is the sheet we want created or do you do it yourself? So you can go both ways. They offer both services and it's becoming more robust within their system as well. But you can upload your own PDF. Like we spent a lot of time making Canva documents mm-hmm. with all this, all the text and print and imagery that we wanted. And so you can literally just upload that and have that be like a consent form where a patient acknowledges that they've read all the content and they just sign off on it virtually. You can either pen signature it, they can finger signature it, or you can type in. And then you also can build your own surveys and it's very user-friendly. I, I'm not being compensated for intake, but sure. I could really sing a well, lot no, of their pages because you can build the questions. You can make a multiple choice answers, true, false questions. I mean, I, it didn't take long. I mean, the heartache that we've toiled over other formats, it's just, they have images for $10 more a month. You can upgrade to have images of the front and back of the insurance cards of their credit cards on file. You don't have to have all those security features built into your practice. So um, it's really changed the flexibility and the agility. So for example, prime example with recent events, I wanted to survey patients as they were coming through if they'd had any symptoms, right? So the CDC had their list of questions and how to rule out and screen if you've experienced symptoms or those asymptomatic concerns regarding regarding COVID-19. And so instantly, I mean, within 20 minutes, I had all my questions figured out so that every patient who came in, they already had, they were prompted to complete these, this additional survey that was in their packet. So mm-hmm. um, we maybe over survey a little bit, but we're still fine tuning on what's pertinent. Do you, so when, when you do that, does it feed it out um, automatically through weave? Does it, um, you know, how do, how do you send, how do you know what surveys you want the patient to, how do the patient know what surveys you want them to get? Yes. So our, we have specific encounters. So like we've got like 61 different exam types that a patient could come back for. It's usually an evaluation of some sort, whether it's retina, neuro, um, ocular surface, whatever the big eval is, and then there's a progress. And so there's a separate set of surveys for whichever specific evaluation or whatever specific progress you're coming back to check on. And that link, it's as simple as making the specific survey to match the encounter. Mm-hmm. Take that link out of intake and slip it right into Weave on each of those individual appointment confirmations. And so mm-hmm. it's a custom packet for the patient. So the next step for us is what we're videoing. I mean, you can see my camera behind mm-hmm. me, but we're videoing um, what to expect videos now to have little vignettes that pop up after they've completed the form, there's a video that says, hey, we can't wait to see you. Here's what to expect to put out the osmolarity fee and to put out the blah, 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 like any extra things that they may not be expecting. Mm -hmm. So it links the option. You can either link it straight to a website that has that video and vignette on it, which we're test driving both, and or you can have it just go straight to a video that pops up in a separate screen. Are you using Vimeo for that website? Or are you using, like, is there another application that will pop up on the screen? Well, we're, we're linking it into just our own YouTube channel so that those okay. videos are there. Just so then we can just pull it straight into our website. So I'm having new videos done in June. We've got that booked. Because I look back at the content on our website now. And granted, it still applies. You know, the, the, the imagery that that we talked about in our mission statement and who we are, of course, it still applies. We've reestablished our why, but we're different people over this, Mm. you know, and I just can't look back. Yeah. Yeah, I can't look at my face still. Like it's just, we're just different after this. And it's, we're more mature in our mission statement. We're more mature in our clinical outcomes. And, you know, we've grown and I think it deserves to be acknowledged with new videography on our website. Yeah. Then, so, um, you know, you, you asked the question about, if, um, you know, you may over survey or you, you made the point that, um, that you're, you may ask too many questions and, and what your goal is, if you get no's to all those questions, then, then you know that you, the patient's doing pretty well from a symptomatic standpoint. And as I'm listening to you, I know that there's probably a lot of doctors that are listening that, that would say, man, 60 different, uh, types of exams. Um, how many questionnaires do you have? 
I mean, what's your mindset there and, and how, do you, how do you get over it? You know, because you and I have talked about this before and, and how do you get over that as the, as the doc that's thinking, how, how I, I'm, my patients don't have any of these symptoms. And I always think, well, if I don't ask, if I ask enough questions, I'm going to get a symptom, likely. And, um, and so that's why I, ca- I kind of come into this a lot of times saying, like, there are no routine exams. There, there's just not. Right. You just didn't ask the right questions. And um, I, so I anyway. would give anything if our, yeah, I would give anything if our industry would, would switch to the preventative mindset. It's a preventative eye health exam. And if you wanted to say a preventative health exam and take the eye out of it, because you and I both know we're catching, like, can I give a, can I go deep in the weeds? Sure. On an yeah, yeah, do it. So we are catching mouth breathing on three, four and five year old patients. And when you think about the mouth breathing child, think that that is going to be your apnea, dry eye, glaucoma patient in the future. We know now that the eye is so generous at night, especially. So people, what they breathe through their nose, breathe through their mouth while they're sleeping at night, for example. We know how generous the eye and the nose are. Those mucosal membranes are so generous to share their moisture to the mouth. And so we have these, whether it's earlier advanced ocular surface disease patients who start over, we know their gland structure is stable. We know we've improved their gland score. We know we've improved the quality of expression from their gland structure. 86% of patients are evaporative dry eye. Uh, We know we've improved osmolarity. We know we've done all these things, but Mm -hmm. every morning that symptom still remains of it takes a while to get my vision to prime up. I'm blurry. I have to blink a ton. And so we start looking at these habits of our adult patients and or our, you know, middle-aged ocular surface patients and they're dry. And you start asking, are they dry mouth? You know, you start thinking Sjogren's. But to go past Sjogren's and to say, is this a bad habit orally? Are, are you mouth breathing? So we ask a breathing and a resting survey because I need to educate family ahead of time before they even come in here. Because when they come into their eye doctor and they hear me start ranting about mouth breathing, mouth breathing they're here to get glasses. Right. right. And so the three years of technology advancements and all the hurdles that have come in our profession cumulatively have outscored the last 30, right? That's the big buzzword going around right now. So we're like surpassing that in our conversation, our patient education, because I need them to know you're setting yourself up to be a dry eye patient. My pandemic is ocular surface disease. Mm-hmm. My pandemic is eye strain and digital, digital vision syndrome and headaches. So I've done quarantine with all due respect in optometry school, so I'm not shocked by <laughs> being isolated. And I've, I've got a pandemic sitting in my chair with a lot of patients, and I need, that, I need parents to feel completely empowered and preventatively minded, and I really would love my colleagues to share in this excitement yeah. and to share in that perspective. So to ask, are we over-surveying to kind of come full circle on that? You know, we're asking about resting, we're asking about brain fog, we're asking about nutrition. I mean, we made our own nutrition survey um, and had it vetted through industry because I need to know if we're optimizing your visual experience or not for the long haul. Do you think, so in that, um, the, you know, the common pushback is, well, what if I dig myself into a, a hole I can't answer? Or how many other people are you going to have to pull into the care that are going to be like-minded where they're going to care about a kid that's a mouth breather at four years old, what pediatricians are going to care about that? Do they care about that? How do you find them? You know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a, it's a tough road. And I will say the most honest and earnest and sincere way that I've been able to pull. So I'm, I'm announcing my advisory board in November. Um, I've spent, you know, 10 hours, with dermatology in clinic with them. That's been the most sincere way that I can show that, yes, I'm, I'm a player in this and yes, I care. And yes, I want to vet out the patient experience. Like, are you going to, to represent our brand conducively? You know, are we going to teamwork work this together? And the response is usually wonderful. You know, people are craving to share knowledge. Um, you just have to ask, you just have to say, Hey, can I come spend some time in clinic with you? So between dermatology, postural, physical therapy, um, our, or ENT docs, um, our vestibular therapists, our neurologists, they're, they've been the toughest ones to get in, into, mm. but fix, send, have them send your toughest patients and get them well, and they maybe give you 20 minutes. But <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that's been the most sincere way is to literally just budget time and praise be to God. We all have time right now to yeah. do that and to collaborate. Um, our, um, our neuro psychs, right. Have, have come on board little by little with giving more real estate to vision in the brain and head injury world. Um, so I've had a harder time with the schools for some reason. They're just, you know, they're so strapped. They're just so swamped with, um, requests and needs and things like that. But, but to form, find out who your players are, who are your, who's your advisory board going to be and publish it. Um, one of the, just to go one step further with it, I, so I went through a little advisory board. What kind of people are on your advisory board? Yeah. So they, they need to, they need to get our mission statement and ours states that we're an enthusiastic um, group of national thought leaders bound by a culture of clinical excellence and advocacy all wrapped around having the patient wellness serve as a hero of our story. So that's broad strokes what our mission statement is. And, and if they're on board with, new, with, with prevention at any age, um, if they're on board with behavior change clinically and open to, to process improving us and critiquing us and being there to say, like, listen, this patient didn't have a great experience. Like, I need to know. I want to know. Like, to know that we have that open communication to say, like, if you're get, if you're sniffing out some sort of culture problem with us, I would love and be so grateful for you to tell me. Give me the heads up because you know us, right? You know my why. My why is is I want to minister and serve people. I want to do something unique, whether it's patient education or patient experience or or a staff experience and staff education, and I want to leave a legacy. That that's my why. Mm-hmm. So if they get our mission statement, if they get my personal why and ego is not a thing, then we usually help a lot of patients together. Yeah. Well, and so, and so, um, in, in all of that, what's, you know, what is the, um, what is your, I guess there's a lot in, in terms of building what you're talking about and, Um, how, you know, the, the other common question is how do I get paid to do all these things that you're talking about? What, what do you say to that? How do you, how do you get paid? Well, we, again, with that whole balanced approach concept, as much as, as we've done that with the pandemic, we've taken a balanced approach with, you know, who we decide to, to share insurance panels with. Um, we have a, a pretty balanced approach with medical insurance, with vision coupons, as we refer them refer to them in my practice, and, and also the cash pay model. And so um, I think there's more pressure on, on practices that are maybe solely or strictly vision coupon. They, they have more pressure, right? Time is of, of essence. And so that surveying ahead of time uh, will help you customize and get to the root cause of a lot of their symptoms. and bringing them back to follow up on something that concerns you. So we, we don't, we have an avenue, a clinical avenue, no matter which way you want to slice it, retina, ocular surface, vision performance, aesthetics, nutrition. We have an avenue to see the patient back, survey, unique diagnostic technology, and an exam. So you can bill medical, you can offer cash, you can offer vision coupons. I mean, you have to have, agility in the opportunity for the patient to, to invest in their vision. So that's what we've done. Yeah. And I think, I think to that end, I mean, on the one side, it's, you know, I asked you the question before, and I think the answer is when you, when you delve into a new technology, you're adding something. Once you feel like you've mastered the ability to, when I said technology, what I mean by mastered a disease state, right. And then you find your widgets that can help master that state. Um, and you kind of set up your protocols, you develop your protocols, and then you move on to the next one. You don't let, let, ever let that one go, but you move on to the next thing that you're going to incorporate. And so, um, so as, as you do that, it tends to be the case that you figure out what the nuances are of, of managing those diseases and also um, providing value for your time for those diseases, mm-hmm. uh, for, for managing those diseases. And, and I think uh, feeling like there's all this stuff that, that you're doing is like, how would I start? Um, you talked about wellness. If I wanted to start, first of all, who's this wellness team that you're talking about? You, you mentioned mm-hmm. that there's this collection of, of different practices um, across the country or different doctors across the country. What, what, can you explain that a little bit more? I mean, so just to clarify, like locally, like my wellness team well, yeah, as a exactly. provider? Yes, or? your wellness team. So I, I didn't know when you said sure. you're, there was sort of a mission statement. 
it made me think that there were other people, other optometrists that you were together oh. with doing this. No, I, I would love to know who those are. <laughs> I would love to know. Um, I would love to collaborate with the people who their why is prevention. You know, the people who just won't succumb to what an insurance says you're allowed to do to care for a patient. Um, you know, I have a two-year-old daughter and I just, I look at, I, I just cannot believe how much we know about inflammation, how to stop it at its earliest forms, not just for brain health, for good sleep, for good oxygen, for good nutrition. I mean, there's just so many ways to optimize these visual performance aspects for children. And there's so, we just, we know so much more how to prepare this next generation. You know, they are, we're past the point of ocular service. We know it's an issue. We know it's, it's a tidal wave. I think industry starting to scramble to, finally figure out what's going on with this, how do we implement it, especially now. Um, but we're, we're past that point to where we're doing my, I got a myography in my two-year-old two mm. weeks ago. I can believe it. <laughs> She's got stress. I got, I got one lid. Let me rephrase. I got one mm. lid, one lower lid. And she's got stress on some of her glands already. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's where we need to be thinking. And, and there's so much potential just in the families. You know, when we rebranded our practice like three years ago, um, they, you know, Fort Collins Family Eye Care is a really big mouthful. It doesn't look good on letterhead and embroidery. It's just there's a lot of letters in there. But they tried to pull family out of our name, and I just couldn't because family is so important to us and truly the domestic church of our, of our world. And... I just believe in strong families and strong community relationships. So I want to be there at the earliest stage for our parents and our children in this preventative mindset. So yes, we do come off as overwhelming sometimes with the, the conversations that we talk about with patients, but we we're making attempts to summarize with video and surveys and knowledge ahead of time using the website with little vignettes ahead of time and then to follow up with summaries um, that are just more, just, just more layman, you know? Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. So when you think about the next thing that you would add, I mean, maybe it's not a, it's not a disease state, but how did, how did you go about saying, okay, well, this is the next thing that I'm going to tackle the next kind of wellness program I'm going to tackle. Um, what, what kind of, do you put it through a, a, a sort of a filter? Is it just something yeah. you think this is something I need to do? So we started, we're, we're early in this. We've only accomplished one of our, so my, my team knows that, just broad strokes on this, my team knows that I won't rest until patients have turned into wellness ambassadors in our community. Because I can't do this by myself. Until they have truly been able to teach back what we've taught them, right, then now I know that they are empowered to go teach someone they love or to protect someone else that they love with this information. So that means it's come full circle for me when we've mm -hmm. made wellness ambassadors in our, in our community. Um, so what we've done is taken some of our champions in that realm with our patients and we've just made a focus group out of that and said, here's a survey monkey ahead of time. Tell us what we're doing really great at. Tell us what um, we're messing up or we're missing the ball or dropping the ball. And then what do you think about these ideas? So for one, um, gut health testing is next on my list. We have our labs figured out. We know how to do phlebotomy and have them come in-house with mobile phlebotomy units and things like that. But we know direct correlations with biofilm and lid diseases with gut health. We know gut health and neuroperformance, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia. We have VEP technology where we can measure, you know, function of visual cortex and ask how well, how optimized is your neurology functioning? Are you mild, moderate, or severe with your neuroinflammatory condition, especially with a lot of our head injury and brain injury survivors? So um, we're ready to, to dig deeper with that. We've been punting out with naturopath and other functional medicine docs in our advisory board, but the time is, is soon approaching to do neurofeedback testing and gut health assessments. It's, it's a, it, you drop ship a stool sample kit and or you have phlebotomy come to their home and pull labs and you get really great specific data that not just, it's different than Western CBCs with diff, right? Because you're getting more information kind of profiling on leaky protein versus just morphology, infection, white blood cell. So it's just helping us really tease out the kids of the kids who have these neurodegenerative diseases. Um, how can we prevent it? I have this stuff in my family. So 
but to survey that group, that focus group, and say, you know, does Colorado really want valet parking? They don't care about valet parking. Hmm. They don't care about mimosas. They, they, w- they would rather come in their hiking shoes for the most right. part, right. <laughs> you know, and like slip by their eye exam on their way to the trailhead. So, you know, do we need to, how do we, how do we differentiate into that? But I want valet parking and I want mimosas and I'm, I'm getting an overwhelming, nah, not right now. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, it's asking the patient. We have to just lean into them and, you know, right now we're, we're still developing our gut health wait list. So a nod to intake again, I, I have a little checkbox on there that says, are you interested in gut health and wellness testing? Or did you know how this could affect your eyes? And that will run a list for me. It just tabs a list, my own wait list on who's interested. Mm-hmm. So it's so, just sitting there waiting for me. So Jackie, with all due respect, you've just lost half of my listeners by talking about gut health. So explain. Really? So, yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm joking. We have, oh. but if I don't rein you in, people aren't going to follow what you're talking about. So I think, um, you and I understand what we're talking about with, with the link between uh, ocular surface disease and, and other um, microbiome throughout the rest mm-hmm. of our body. Yeah. You did lose me at, I, I'm not aware of all the other cognitive stuff and the neuro- neurodegenerative things. So I'd love to hear about that. But I want you to take a step back and kind of re-explain, you know, kind of how gut health was the next thing on your list and why it's so important to the lid margin and the, um, and the biofilms that exist there. So I, it might be because Colorado is just so preventative anyway, right, that, that these are the patient conversations that we're having. And so the demand is there. Um, patients want to know how they can prevent disease. So when we think about the lining of your gut from opening to opening, from mouth to the end, uh, the GALT, for example, is what it's called. It's, it's, that lining has the highest amount of immunity in your entire body. So it's technically not really an inside structure. It's still connected to the outside world. And so it's, it's either leaky and it lets bad things through or it's really tight and it's really secure and it's this, you know, wall of protection allowing what is, it, it gets to say what comes in and out of your body. So that same mucosal membrane, right, that lines your gut also separates in different capacities and lines your mouth and lines your nose and lines your eyes. And so if we're seeing people with sensitive stomachs or super touchy digestive issues, nine times out of 10, when you see blatant demodex on the lid margin or a lot of biofilm on the lid margin that you've debrided, whether it's with a, a Paul Carpecki debrider or a spud or cotton tip applicator, whatever it is you're using, nine times out of 10, if you ask the younger the patient is with more Demodex, typically the messier their stomach is. And nine times out of 10, if you ask them, Hey, how's your stomach? What's it like? You know, like, do you have a sensitive stomach? The answer is always yes. Hmm. So when those membranes are out of balance, um, when your gut's out of balance, there's strong correlation that you're literally filling up with biofilm from the gut up. Your mouth is a mess. Your gums are infected. You're just, you know, we all know the link between cardiovascular health and oral health. Why not have a link between the eyes and the rest of your systems as well? So we will punt out often to naturopath for gut health testing with the diagnosis of biofilm or, or blepharitis on the lid margin, whether anterior or posterior. So you, you bring in the naturopath because the, the normal uh, allopath or osteopath is, is just not going to pay attention to it that you've found so far? Well, the, the, the strategy with prevention versus reaction is different typically in, in most of those mindsets. And it's, it's a pretty blatant comparison. Um, Patients want moms, especially when they hear or they see on a 55-inch screen TV, Demodex staring at them on a four- or five-year-old child, and they've all thought it was allergies, and they've been pumped pharma mm-hmm. for allergies for years, or they're a mouth breather, and they've had their tonsils taken out because there wasn't a proper um, filtration allowed through the nose, right? They're like, oh my gosh, this all makes sense. Thank you so much for giving me a natural preventative option to be ahead of this for my child. So yes, oftentimes again, 
you know, naturopath isn't typically listed under insurance, but moms make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and so how are other doctors in your community? You know, Fort Collins has quite a few, you know, quite a few docs that are, um, you know, really well known. Um, uh, you know, you've got Dan Alexander that's there. Uh, I think, um, isn't, um, um, Jackie, um, Jackie Baldwin there or Jackie uh, Bowen, Bowen, Jackie Bowen. Really? Yeah. She's about 40 miles away. Yeah. There's some wonderful, I'm, I'm really lucky to have, you know, the wisdom around me for yeah. sure. So what's uh, their perspective on, on how far you're taking this from a wellness standpoint? I don't know. No, you don't know. Haven't ha- had any, no conversations. Really? So, so let me, let me pull it back and say, okay, I've asked you about two specific people that I know just from a national standpoint. Um, but, but like other ODs in the community, um, what's their response to this kind of stuff? It's like, they just don't want to hassle with it or they kind of, they think, yeah, you know, I get it. I, she's talking and I I could do some of these things. What's your experience? I think anybody can do this. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I am not unique in that. I am unique in the way that I want it. And I have patients who have problems and, you know, I, I want to know best ways to be preventative. I mean, if you, if you've re- now is a great time for everybody to reframe their why and reestablish why they're in eye care. Um, if you're here to be reactive and to just spin and grin, you know, like if that's, if that's your why and that's what you're doing this, then do that, you know, but if, if you really desire to, to get to the root cause of patients concerns and, you know, when we look at, you know, you've alluded in the past too, Chris, about private equity and how they, they see optometry literally as the hub of healthcare. And if we're not making ourselves assets to functional medicine, to Western medicine, to Eastern medicine, to, you know, the, the therapies of the world, um, if you're just, you're, you stand to, to drown out a little bit. And I just, I see so much collaboration and opportunity that, um, it, it can be done. So it's yeah. just a matter of, of being creative and, and pulling people who are like-minded together and, and learning. I mean, I've, because I have been the patient of my advisors that I'm putting together in my advisory board, I've learned. I mean, they teach me about mouth breathing and how it connects and how, you know, research with CSU and our, our Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia patients and how we can, there's just so much. You can't take vision out of any organ. You just can't. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I agree with you. Of course I agree with you. I, I think, um, I think the, that sometimes people might, so you say, well, anybody can do this, but, um, and, and I think you may get to the point where you, where you think, cause I do, where I think anybody can practice the way I practice. And I, I, I believe that I completely believe it. But then I also wonder if I'm just, I'm, I'm just actually um, missing it because um, when you start focusing a lot on a lot of the things that, that you're talking about or trying to focus on, like, you know, in my perspective, it's, you know, managing the ocular surface, it's managing the, the classic ocular diseases at a really high level and being preventative in the sense of, of trying to detect them as early as possible, managing myopia, you know, that's sort of my wheelhouse, right? Um, I haven't taken some of the even further steps like you have, but I, I wonder if I'm just biased when I say anybody can do this. I wonder if I'm just biased because it's the practice I've built. And so I think, oh, well, you know, my dad and I built this practice. And, um, and so, you know, we, anybody could do it. But maybe it's the case that like I've just attracted a certain patient population that wants that level of care. And that maybe like if, if Chris Wolf goes into any other practice that has already been built by somebody else full of patients who want that level of care, then it doesn't, then it can't occur because there are a finite number of those patients. Now, I'm not saying I believe that. I'm just asking the question. Could that be the case? I I think it's education driven and you have a a lifetime of evidence of educating students, doctors, your family. I mean, you you and I both know that we're never going to run out of new knowledge to conquer or to yeah. incorporate or to collaborate on. And patients have access to the same knowledge. They're going to find it. Um, you know, when 
it's there. And so if, if we want to share, it's, it's all on delivery of the message. And I have to have a team that's, that's messengers because I overwhelm <laughs> in about five seconds on between getting past my passion about eye care, my geek out knowledge, um, my big smile. That's just so excited to, to see people and love on people and care for people. Um, I, I have to have people who are really good at simplifying the message. And I've been blessed to have a really, you know, great team to help me with that. It's always growing and process improving and people make life changes. What? You mean they're not going to do eye care forever? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so it's always retraining that knowledge. But um, what's your approach guess, to that? I mean, what's your approach to that? If, if, you know, because I get swamped in that too, where I just like um, to talk, I just like to talk to patients. And, yeah. and the reality is, is like, especially after COVID, um, you know, as I think about how we're coming out of this, there's been a lot of things that we we're doing in our practice that, you know, I, that I think made, gave me a lot of perspective about, um, about the practice, about the type of patients that I want to see about the culture that we're building in the practice, mm-hmm. both from, from our, our team side, but also from our patient base. And, um, and so I guess the point is, is that I, I tend to like to talk to patients, which draws out my exam. Right. And so how do you, like what has been your approach specifically to get those other people on your team to be able to have the, the longer conversations or the deeper conversations about some of those things? Yeah. So now we are videoing training so that I don't have to keep like my content, the things that I want said or the things. So I'll back up just as you're changing culture, rebuilding culture, fine tuning culture. We, this is to get on a stump. So we just finished, um, right through Christmas, the first of the year, we finished Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last. It's old. It's been around forever. We're kind of new to that. But what we've done over the first quarter of the year was really lock in our circle of safety. And now that we have our team kind of expanded a little bit or everybody's caught up on knowledge and, and kind of at the same or, or staggered steps in education within the practice, um, we've created a, a higher, not a hierarchy. I've, I've posed it to the team to say, we're not creating a, 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 like congested circles. We're not creating clicks within the practice. We're deepening the circle of safety. We're going deeper. So for example, I have a circle of safety within my culture champions and they are my team that's been here and has proven that they are marketing and, and recruiting and advocating outside of these four walls, right? Mm-hmm. They're taking the message outside of the practice. So they've mastered here internally and they're also evident in their walk outside of the practice. And then our wellness heroes are um, those that are focused on building patient relationships, right? They're the ones kind of boots on the ground, daily grind. So my circle of safety is with the culture champions. Culture, Culture champions are to foster groom and inspect what we expect from wellness heroes. Wellness heroes are to help groom new trainees and our externs that come through. So this is a new concept. We just went deeper. We, we, I had everybody fill out their own circle of safety with green, red, and yellow topics, like a big pie chart. Tell me everything that's green that you feel good about, you've mastered, there's no worry, no anxiety, and kind of label everything that's, that's causing you anxiety. And I want to see a full green circle for all of us by the end of March. So just as soon as we finish that, <laughs> we get this new explosion of anxiety with COVID. So our response to that was, how can we deepen our own circles of safety? Because when we implement new things, it's best that I not run all the way down to the new trainee to say, hey, guess what? This new fun thing is happening. So I know that I have my culture or my circle of safety to say, hey, let's bet this out. Is this the time? Is the team ready for this? Or how can we make this? ready, right? How can we make the, the situation, the environment ready and safe to be sure we're not going to scare anyone away, that patients are going to know it ahead of time, and that it's just a smooth rollout with this process. So that has been big for us. Um, because yes, it's overwhelming, but to video everything that goes down with that and then pass that same video on, we know there's not any misinterpretation. It's a consistent message. I don't have to repeat it 10,000 times. So it's basically this training module now, especially for externs because they're in and out every three months and, Mm -hmm. and I'm just kind of exhausted talking to them. (laughs) I love them, but you know, 
it's just like, here it is, let's do this. So, so that's, that's the next step, right? Is to get this like full. So with the videography that I have coming down, we have a, a recruitment video and then we have some, some training modules that I'm setting up the scripts for right now just to, to have that be a little smoother, but yeah. So that's the, cause if we could just perpetuate that, like that's our, our, we turned 50 this year, which was so cool to like turn 50 in the year 2020. Yeah. And then, you know, not going to be great for the P and L's this year, but. Yeah, well, you know, it's crazy. I, I mean, the, the thing. 50, I 50 thinking, or 2020. Yeah. P and L's. I know the, the, you know, the, the PPP loan that everybody got, it's like, um, the, you know, that it, it's great because it does help out, you know, employees and to the extent that you might be an employee of your own business, that's, you know, it's nice. You don't have to cover that cost for the next couple months. But, you know, I, I look at, um, we were still able to function. Uh, we're kind of coming out on that, you know, our, the CDC lifted their, their um, prohibition on delay of routine eye care uh, that came out last week. And, um, and then in, in Nebraska, um, you know, our, our local health department in Omaha specifically has not had any ordinances against medical practices. And so, you know, basically we're, we're still under the guise of the CDC and the, and CMS and all their recommendations in terms of face masks, et cetera. But for the most part, I mean, we're back at it. And, um, but I think the, or we will be back at it next Monday. Um, you know, this week we sort of had a ramp up week and then May will be a kind of a next ramp up for us. And then I'm hoping that June 1st, you know, things are, they're never going to be back to normal or for the foreseeable future, they won't be back to back to normal. But I guess I say all that to say that to me, it seems like the practices that have embraced the model of prevention and wellness are the practices that were least impacted by COVID over the last six to eight weeks. It seems that yeah, I mean, was I doing a lot of lipoflows? No, right? I, it just wasn't. But, mm-hmm. um, but like at the same time, our practice has been become known as the place to go if, for our patients if you have a problem with your eyes. And so instead of being known as the place to go if I just need a pair of contacts or glasses, right, which is fine, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and we want to be known for that as well, but like we don't just want to be known for that. And because of that, you know, my schedule was actually pretty solid with patients with urgence, urgencies and emergencies over the last six weeks. I mean, and so, so I say all that to say like, um, we weren't selling hardly any product, but every single dollar that came through the door was basically pure profit, right? That dollar just came from my, you know, my intellectual property. And so you didn't have any cost of goods on that. You, you know, your, um, you know, your, so if your PPP covers all of your employment costs and your cost of goods are almost zero, then almost every single dollar you're generating is, is dollars that are coming back to the practice, right? Or, or coming to the practice owners, essentially. And so I guess, I guess my point is about all that is that the more you can do and be in the patient's mind as a place to go to solve problems and it's going to dig deeper into those problems, the more resilient you are to recessions and to um, weird things like COVID. Yeah, just to touch on the, the optical side, we, um, to blend those two properties, right, the medical necessity and the optics that are required to function on a daily basis, uh, we, we are a medical optical in our practice. And so all of the lenses that we prescribe have a therapeutic effect of various degrees. Mm. So whether it's you know, treating eye strain fatigue with alignment lenses or, as you know, sun protection or blue light protection, um, or if it's, you know, anti-saconic, we're balancing the image, we're trying to optimize the visual experience for your brain. We aren't just retail. We aren't just selling stuff. Like we are a therapeutic entity. And so that, I, I would say the first hurdle that when I first took this practice over was getting people out of the the vision coupon mindset that mm. took a couple years to get people to really, you know, we're 9% VSP now come down from 16 in the past. Um, and so that's taken a while, you know, it's t- it t- took a couple years to really instill that culture and to differentiate our mindset, the preventative healthcare mindset. 
Um, the next mindset that's happening right now, and we've got some, you know, there's widgets that help with this. There'll be sure. a new widget that comes out at some point, but you know, to have that therapeutic and that medical model in the optical has been kind of the secondary mindset shift that has to, that is happening. And so it's not ingrained hundred percent in our patient base, but it's close. Um, and so that's, that's kept our, surprisingly, that's kept our optical moving through this time as well, because people are coming back for second pairs or whatever of therapeutic lens technologies, because we're again, fixing a problem that they've reported via survey um, to us. So I love the idea. I love the idea of the prescription being more than just a number, right? Like, like mm-hmm. I, I, I love that you, you, you think all about things. Um, I like the way you think about all these things. And Jackie, there's a lot of ways that I haven't wrapped my mind around yet in terms of like, um, you know, I've always tried to articulate to people, you know, when we're communicating from uh, like a state government relations committee standpoint or on a legislative standpoint to regulators that you know, a prescription is more than a number. It's how you're applying the prescription, et cetera, et cetera. But, but really to take that and wrap it up into your practice to say, like our optical is specifically there to deal with the medical issues that you have, I think is pretty amazing. Well, and to, and to, shift. Put that, well, to put it in the contact lens world in your specialty or one of your specialties too, I just got off a webinar about, you know, ortho K mm. and you know, you're, you're dosing yep. blur. How much blur are we going to dose to affect choroidal thickness or epithelial negative positive pressure? I mean, you're dosing blur. So are we to the point now where we're dosing blur? I mean, your vision performance crowd would say we've been dosing blur forever. You know, like we've been dosing blur or clarity in one capacity. So it's a dosage, mm. right? A minus five. Yeah. yeah is a milligram. How can we get dioptric power to equate milligrams? <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and it's not just that it's, it's even beyond that because you're applying the dosage at a specific location. Right. right. And then you, and then you talk about, and so now you're talking size. about, yeah, now you're talking yeah. about, um, you know, you, I mean, you're talking about direct delivery of dosaging. It's no different than we would photocoat, you know, we would, we would PRP the retina in a specific place in a specific dosage to affect change. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's so a now cool I just got all Oklahoma it. on you. Chris. No, no, it's, it's a cool <laughs> way to think about it. And I think, again, I, I'm always trying to, if you know me well enough and you do, it's, it's, I'm always trying to think about ways to, you know, I, I think we've, the perception of what we do has become so, uh, to a lot of people, we, not to us, right? Not to us. And I think we're getting better at, at kind of making this link between, you know, uh, eye disease and systemic disease and all that sort of thing. But, um, but really still, the fact that people think that when you write a prescription, it's the same no matter where you fill it, right? It's the same as the same as the same. It has to be the same, right? Uh, different progressive lens technology, just as a small example, you know, finding ways to articulate that well to patients to be able to say that, like, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't been able to really do it all that well other than to say, you know, you, you go get a progressive lens and I write, a pres- write numbers down on this piece of paper and, um, and they might put you in a progressive lens that is 30 years old. Well, right. the difference is when you go mm-hmm. to buy a cell phone, you wouldn't walk into any store and say, I want an iPhone. And then they sell you an iPhone that's 10 years old or 20 years old or 30 years old. They wouldn't do that. You would know right away. But with a lens, you can't know until you put it on. Well, so I haven't been able to articulate that well, but, but the reality is, is that when you take your approach for your optical that way, then it is a very, you know, if you can d- describe it well to the patient and articulate that well to the patient in a way that doesn't, you know, have to have to be apologetic. Uh, I think then then you can kind of clearly delineate that in their minds. Is there a quick way that you do that for your patients? Well, that's a loaded question. I haven't mastered that one. No, I, I wish I it, wish that I could. So no different than so flip it the other way. So say you're an allergist and you're prescribing Flonase. What's different from your Flonase to someone else's Flonase? 
Well, it, would, it, it wouldn't be any different if it wasn't a generic. And that, I think, is the difference between a medication, right? Like, like when I pr- put numbers on a piece of paper, if I write a prescription for, let's say, um, let's say I write a prescription for Lodamax SM, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I don't allow for any substitution. Well, then there, there would be a difference because there wouldn't be any difference if I sold that Lodamax or you sold that Lodamax or CVS sold that Lodamax in theory, right? Because it's all branded. But if I write a prescription for, um, for uh, Pred, you know, Lodamax and then, then they mm-hmm. substitute with a generic, well, there could in fact be a difference in the way that, that what it is being delivered. So my thought, just random thought, I have never, I haven't gone on this path in my head. So because the eyes involved back to a glasses prescription or an optical prescription, whether it's contact lenses or glasses, mm-hmm. the brain is involved. Mm-hmm. Neurology and perception is involved. There's no perception involved with Lodamax or Flonase or whatever. There's no neurology, truly, like cognitive, sensory, afferent neurology involved with that. Mm-hmm. So by way of visual neurology, if we regain visual neurology as our scope of practice or part of our scope of practice, we have enforcement teeth, number one, but the prescription is an art. How do you, how do you convey the art of neurology in that abstract? It's not black and white, yeah. right? It's not black and white like pharma. Yeah, and, and so I think the hard part about that is, and I'm not disagreeing, by the way, I, yeah. I think the hard part about that in terms of conveying that nuance is that I'm not so sure. I mean, I remember uh, Doug Penniston talking about, um, you know, when I first was, t- we, we were learning about how people were over minus and, and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, so Dr. Penniston, you know, uh, and he was talking about how we would may prescribe for a patient that um, you, you wouldn't over minus a myope by a diopter, but a lot of times we'll let um, hyperopes run around uncorrected with a diopter, right? And so in my mind, the mathematics of the deal were exactly the same. So I said, Dr. Penniston, what, how, you know, why, why would we do this with this patient, not with that patient? And, and basically his answer was hyperopes are different than myopes, right? Their visual system is different than a myopes. And, um, and you know, I, I, I've, I've, I've thought about that for years. For, I mean, it's been probably 13, 14, 15 years since, since I, he told us that. And I thought about that for a, a long time, but I guess my point is, is that I, I didn't fully grasp it. I still don't think I've fully grasped it, except to say that as you, as you learn about prescribing, right, as you prescribe glasses and optical uh, solutions for patients, there's a lot of, of like of the art that comes into what you're saying, right? There's a lot of things we do that we, that we do because we learn them, but they become so the listening to how somebody is responding to a very subtle difference. Oh yeah. Okay. That's, you know, answering this question very quickly and definitively yeah. tells you something about how that patient's what interpreting if, it. Just for instance. So we do this a lot with our ocular service program. What if the glasses prescription was the last thing we did? For example, what if I could say that your contrast sensitivity is spot on and absolutely bathed in retinal nutrition? What if your ocular surface is as clean and pristine and consistent as possible? What if you're free of cataracts? What if we've got everything optimized and the cherry on top, the end game, the, the investment of all investments is your lenses? What if that was say, nope, I don't trust your investment right now because you're showing signs of con- like retinal de- deprivation or you're showing signs of anisoconia or you're showing signs of until I've ensured your total, like this is extreme thought here, yeah, but yeah, until, yeah. until we've completely identified function and structure of your visual system from the eye to the brain and back, then I will grant you eyewear. Yeah. And, the, and, and I, I, I love that. I mean, I think that's, again, um, because you have that. So when you, not you do what people it. will do, if it's right. not what the masses will do, if right. they, if their value proposition is I'm going to sell you a pair of glasses right. or contact lenses. Right. So they, I think, I think to, to wrap that up, I think you're going to have to have enough people if you're going to change the culture, right. You're talking about ambassadors for, for wellness, right. Eye wellness. Mm-hmm. There's going to, that's why I asked about people in your local community is that at some point, if this is going to be the model, right, 
of, of how things are going to be changed. If patients are going to change that perspective, it can't just be Jackie Munson talking about it. It can't just be Chris Wolf talking about it. It can't right. even just be Jackie Bowens and, and Dan Alexander, right? If you can, if you can get them on board, this kind of stuff, it's gotta be, it's gotta be a collective. So how do you spread that um, beyond the walls of what you're doing and, and into, you know, into more often people taking that approach? So we get asked a lot to help and we're excited about that always. Um, again, recording things, video recording and utilizing iCode and all the things that you're doing ahead of time, right? To share the knowledge and to share the information is so great. Um, if you have a bad culture in your practice, it's not worth it. It's not worth my time personally. Mm, it's yeah. just until people, until people own it themselves. For example, I would yeah. love to see, I would love to see someone host a CE meeting. That was a hike, mm. right? Like let's go hike five miles uphill. We're going to stop and take a breather, do a, a mini slide deck, and then we're going to have wine and cheese at the bottom. But if you really don't want to change your behavior, if you really don't want to change lives, if you don't, if you don't want to change, I'm not here to help you because if your culture reeks of apathy or the word try or, you know, like all that stuff, like it, you're not going to get it going. And so if people understand and want this, they're going to come and it's going to flock and it sounds easier said than done, but it's just, um, we've lived this for sure over the last, you know, I, I've owned this practice officially starting my fifth year a couple of days ago you know, year five, everybody's like, woohoo, you're five. And then COVID <laughs> happens and you're year five. You get kind of, mm. kind of excited about that. But, um, yeah, it's just, it, you have to own it. Now's the perfect time to re identify your why. And if, if it's one step at a time, if you just want to say, Hey, I just want to tackle ocular surface this year, or I want to tackle trigeminal dysphoria this year, or I want to tackle gut health this year. I mean, it's just, it's one step at a time. And I love collaborating with people who want to do that. But if you, if you have got this toxic culture around you, you have to fix that first. Well, I think you just said it. I mean, I think, I think the, the summary point is you tackle one, right? You tackle mm -hmm. one, you master one, and then you go to the next one. And, um, and, and that's, I think that's the best way to, to kind of start implementing some new things. And I think once you do that, your, your brain starts to open up. Once you do it successfully, your brain starts to open up to say, Oh yeah, I could look at this other problem the way I looked at this other problem that you know this prior problem that we were trying to solve and make better. Um, so I love it. I love it. Um, it's not going to stop. There isn't an end game. You know, the end game is to again, we want to minister to patients. We want to do something unique, and we want to leave a legacy. So, if any of the preventative mindset topics come back to that, then do it. If you're already establishing or or, or owning your why and you're achieving your why then stay there but i i would love for you to send your dry eye and your headache patients to me because <laughs> they're there <laughs> oh yeah of course i mean yeah. I, yeah you can't you can't turn away from them anymore well let me i want right. to be respectful of your time um jackie munson thanks for being on it's been a pleasure to see you um at nsu in the in the academic wing or the uh, the administrative wing while I was in school and then also kind of see you grow while you were in uh, in your optometry school and it's it's been a, a great pleasure of ours to to you know as a family to have you in our lives and and uh, so thanks for coming on the podcast I really appreciate it thanks for having me I appreciate your time too